STEM Prime Research Cast. Ah, this is the week of May 10th, 2020. Welcome to the STEM Prime Research Cast. So, so we're trying out a bit of a new um, setup here. I'm not too sure how this is going to turn out, but uh, <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, I, it was supposed to drape down from that end. You know, it has like the 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 folded the folded folded over seam for the pole to go through. But I wanted to use it its width. So, you know, you're gonna see kind of these grapey looking things. Whatever. Let's let, let's go with it. Let's let's see how this <laughs> how this works. I'm sure this is going to evolve quite a bit throughout. Okay. So this is the first part of a four-part series of episode six, and which is titled Entropy and the Three Functions of Money. Okay, um, as always, we don't have any ads, we don't have any sponsors, no spots, no ad or product placements, anything like that. The STEM Prime Research Cast is fully self-funded for multiple reasons, one of them being uh, I just don't want to have to deal with any sort of outside I don't know, pressures or anybody trying to influence the direction of, of the research or the podcast. Uh, okay. So for everybody that has been listening and watching, um, I want to express my thanks. Uh, this endeavor really is, really is nothing without, without the public. You could almost say you're, <laughs> you're my, uh, research partners. So, this is a bit of a different platform, a little bit of a different uh, style of, of, of research, but uh, I, I think it's gonna turn out all right. We'll see. Okay, for new listeners, please don't <laughs> just drop into the middle of an episode and start watching this. This is not how this is uh, designed to work. I mean, I guess you can if you want to, but most likely you're going to end up a little confused, maybe a little frustrated. You're probably going to just turn it off because you don't have all of the information that uh, you would need to have gathered from the preceding episodes. So I highly suggest that you just start with number one. I mean, I, I know I'm not the most entertaining man on the entire planet, but uh, this is informational. This isn't, you know, this isn't an inter entertainment platform. So um, start from the first episode and work your way through. Otherwise, you're just going to be totally lost as to what's going on, what we're talking about, and and you know where we're going from here. Okay, so you can find the STEM Prime Research Cast on um, Spotify, Google, Google Podcasts, Breaker, um, Pocket Cast, Public Ra or Radio Public, and we are. Still haven't gotten around to getting onto Apple Podcasts, CastBox, or uh, Overcast, but we're working on it. There's just a lot to do. So I apologize that we haven't gotten it up on those platforms yet, but it will happen at some point, I promise. Okay, so announcements. Um, I want to remind everybody about the contest. For those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, that's kind of how I designed this. So um, 
If you listened to episode number five, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, just a reminder that it's two weeks out, right? Or a week out now. Has it already been a week? Wow, it's a week out. Okay. At any point, I could put up two more, another week out. Why not? Let's 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 do that. Um, just just a reminder. If you want to, you know, make a submission, get going on it. Review the review what I talked about in in episode five. If not, you can wait for the uh, public announcement, and all the rules and procedures are going to be um, posted on stemdrive.ai. Please don't get confused between STEM Prime and STEM Drive. I, I know I probably should have been a little bit more creative with it and a little bit, I don't know, come up with a little something a bit simpler to um, key into. But uh, yeah, so the STEM Drive is the software. The AI STEM Drive is the software and the network. Okay. STEM Prime is in reference to the... Um, the simulations to you know the simulations of the the uh, stem epi epiconomy and the ai stem drive so um the whole reason i named the podcast or the research cast the stem prime research cast is because a lot of what we're learning here a lot of what i'm interviewing uh you know experts for is not just for the ASTEM drive and the epiconomy, as for the fundament, you know, building uh, the STEM prime uh, simulations, the STEM prime and Terra prime simulations. Because, I mean, that really is going to be kind of the fulcrum on which everything, this entire project hinges. It's going to be, you know, whether or not this turns out to be something we want to pursue. So, okay, uh, simulation update. Nothing has been done. I've been so loaded, but um, just letting you know, the Sims are the same place where last week. However, this week looks like it's going to be. I'm going to have a little bit more free time to sit down and 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 uh, get working on the simulations. Um, T-shirts and hoodies. The Proofs are almost done. Cool, right? And uh, the local company I'm working with, it's actually my brother-in-law's uh, company, printing company. So hopefully within the next month, we'll have a pretty cool selection of STEM Prime hoodies, you know, AI STEM drive hoodies and t-shirts, along with uh, some stickers, that kind of stuff. So I will look out for that. Well, you look out for that. <laughs> I will let you know when, when they're up and ready to go. Okay, so this episode, the first of four, we're gonna lay some groundwork for for this entire series. Uh, this is going to be, you know, we're going to go over a lot of definitions, what different things are, and kind of the basis behind why, well, yeah, that's it. You know, we're, we're just laying the groundwork. We're, we're going over what this is all about, why we're doing this little mini series. So, yeah. Okay. So this is the first episode. The second episode is going to be on medium of exchange. 
the third episode, unit of account, and the fourth episode, store of value. Okay, now before we kind of get into um, sort of the meat of this episode, I want to make a bit of a, I, I just want to throw, throw this up out in front right at first because just because of, I don't know, our natural tendency to jump to conclusions and, and make assumptions up front without, you know, having gone through the, the length of, of what we're presenting here. So I'm putting this out up front just so there's no confusion. Um, I'm not attempting to create uh, or, or to confuse correlation for causation here. So this, I'm going to make a short little argument really quickly. Just keep in mind that is not my intent, and I'll make clear what I'm talking about at the end. Just don't, don't you know, jump off on me. Just hang with me for a second while I complete my thought, and then you'll know, you know, why I said what I said. Uh, I just want to make that clear because I know, especially my type of person, the kind of person that I am. If somebody started off with something like this, I would immediately jump to, oh, dude, he's totally confusing correlation with causation. He doesn't know what he's doing. So I'm just <laughs> putting that out there right up front. Okay. So uh, historians believe that money has been in use for about 5,000 years. Um, to kind of work this into into everything, you know, make, make this make sense. I want to talk about kind of some positive and negatives that we have witnessed throughout history in, in you know, the last hundred years, last couple hundred years, last thousand years, 2000 years, last 5,000 years. Uh, so within the last hundred years, we have seen, <laughs> um, children being given heroin for coughs. Um, we've seen lobotomies be a thing, like almost kind of like a <laughs> cure-all for just about any mental disorder, which is, uh, I'm not trying to laugh. It's just, uh, I'm laughing at the ignorance of the situation. It, it, it was a terrible thing. Like, <laughs> again, I laugh. I don't know why. It's, it's my self-defense mechanism, I guess. But just how, you know, how was I ever even thought of something that was okay you just stick a hanger up someone's i mean obviously it's not a hanger but you know you go up there you sever the the uh oh my gosh what is it called meter medial thing anyway lobotomies aren't cool uh, under very rare circumstances today like life the saving kind of things would we ever consider using a lobotomy yet back then it was just you know every other patient that had whatever depression uh seizures you know whatever the case was we would just go right in there and snip the snip the connections so you know i mean what a terrifying terrifying thing that that was actually a legitimate medical practice that we performed and did on who knows how many people we we affected back then <sighs> feet binding oh my gosh <laughs> i mean the list goes on right you can you can just name off one thing after another after another of just ignorance that we have 
that our you know ancestors have just been so completely enthralled in it's it's kind of horrifying um and and if we go even further back you know that was like last hundred years if we go even further back we have things like i forget what the technical term for it was but we believe kings had divine authority if you were a king you had some sort of you know divine connection and authority kind of you know kind of like what the pope is uh, supposedly has today so that and that's just that's terrifying on its own a king having divine authority it's just just a little crazy uh the lead the romans with their lead lead vases you know they would fill their <laughs> put their wine in in lead pitchers and let it i can't there was some kind of like chemical um reaction that went on between something that some sort of acid that was in the wine and and the lead and it would create a very sweet substance so apparently i i wouldn't even taste it out of curiosity but they were loving it they had no idea that lead was a neurotoxin and had all sorts of other collective health benefits it could just be not benefits i'm sorry health issues that you know came with the ingestion of lead but uh yeah and and so that was within the last two thousand years so if you think about what i mean the ratio of of logical you know well thought out practices you know that humanity has has had on the one hand and on the other hand you think about the just terrifying and horrifying practices that we've been just ah, we just have been doing forever and ever the ratio between the two is is i mean it's getting better you know it's slowly coming this way but it used to be so terribly just weighed on this end and a lot of it is because we simply didn't understand the world around us we didn't you know we hadn't had science around for so long and mathematics around for so long that that uh you know the things that we have learned have you know crept into our daily lives and our procedures and how we handle reality and and how we navigate everything about life so it's just you know the ratio is getting better but what i'm trying to say is back then if you were to just you know pick pick something out of the pot just any any old belief in that in that mix 5000 years ago just reach in and pluck something out the chances of you plucking something out that was healthy and logical and made sense is like astronomically low um there were good things that came out of that time uh a lot of philosophies and mathematicians and just you know scientists of that day there's some pretty amazing feats that you know have have led us to where we are today but my point still stands that the statistical possibility of plucking something out of that hat that had like some sort of benefit is pretty pretty low okay so again I'm not trying to confuse correlation with causation. I'm not trying to say, well, just because 
you know, they had so many terrible beliefs and horrible practices um, that that we should, you know, that that correlation should somehow be a cause for for the fact that that the invention of money is also a bad idea. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say that the probability that money just happening to be a really good idea is extremely low. I mean, it was invented by ancient, you know, humans 5,000 years ago. It was, it was developed by who knows what the, what the original motives were for, for coming up with a system of trade. But the fact of the matter is, is that it was developed by primitive minds. It was developed by people that did not understand the scientific world or did not understand the world through through the eyes of a, you know, scientific eyes, through those lenses. So that, I think, should at least give us pause. It should at least have us kind of stand back and maybe kind of reassess this whole money thing. Now, there is a supposed experiment that was performed, and I, I had believed that this was actually a true experiment because um, it was told to me by a friend of mine that I really respect, who I know knows his shit, but uh, yeah, um, I just never questioned it. So when I went to go <laughs> look up the actual um, the actual research, I couldn't find it, and it turns out it was kind of loosely based on not even really a thought experiment, but and at any rate, so the the experiment that never happened goes like this. And I'm sure many of you have already heard this where they took five monkeys. It's often referred to as the five monkey experiment, right? And they um, have a, a heel or a ladder and they have some bananas at the top. And every time uh, a monkey would try to get up to the bananas, they would spray them all down. And then one at a time they would replace one monkey and, and the first monkey would come in and he would try to go up the ladder and get to the bananas and all the other monkeys would pull them back down and, and beat them senseless until, you know, he got the idea that you just don't go up the ladder and then they would replace another one. And the first monkey they replaced would join in in the, you know, pulling the guy down off the ladder and, and messing him up for a second. So, um, really, I don't know why I brought that up. Yeah, I, but I think it is an interesting thought experiment, even though it has never been <laughs> actually, why doesn't somebody just do it? Why doesn't somebody just, I mean, is it like, can you, can you not spray monkeys down or do that? I, I don't know. I think somebody should actually try it. I think it would be really interesting if somebody really put the five monkeys to the test uh, to see how it would really turn out. But my, my point is, is that there are very few things that we don't, that we don't stop and think about. 
And money is one of them. I mean, I think it's just one of these, one of these things that is so embedded and so a part of our culture that you just don't even think of it as, I mean, you know, kind of probably, probably has something to do with its roots as well. If you think about, you know, if you start to question money, you know, you, you kind of go back to, oh, well, it's just kind of the evolution of trade. And, you know, trade obviously has always been around, that kind of thing. Maybe, but maybe not. And so that's kind of what we're going to be talking about. I think, I think there's a few reasons why we haven't really stopped to question money as as a mode of of uh distribution and and exchange and and you know material propagation but yeah it's it's just one of those really bizarre kind of <laughs> concepts that we've just never really collectively stopped to question maybe the occasional you know two or three people or a group of people or, you know, a, a group of 20 people go and start a compound or, or whatever, right? Maybe they fairly heavily questioned it, but I, I don't think it's something you hear about that often. You know, we you definitely, it's not questioned like the war on drugs is questioned, that's for sure. The war on drugs is thankfully starting to get questioned. But yeah, um, I think it's so just embedded <laughs> in everything that we're doing that it's really, I don't know. We just don't stop to really question it. So hopefully I can get you to stop to question it because if you haven't yet, and if you've watched all of the episodes so far, hopefully this little mini series will really give you pause because I'm about to just... <laughs> blow the doors wide open. So let's get moving. Okay. All right. Before we really get started talking about any of this, we need to try to decide what value is. And the reason we need to do this is because money is to represent value, right? That's what money is. It, it, it's sort of a multi, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a value that can, that can morph into different types of values. It, it can be equated to any number of things and you can exchange it and trade it for all sorts of things, right? So if we're going to start questioning money, we have to kind of step back and say, okay, what is it that we're questioning? What, what is this? It's, it's, you know, something, it's a symbol. We've all agreed on this symbol and it symbolizes some value. Now, really the value is kind of up to whatever, because I mean, you can have, you know, a hundred year old car that's been restored. And even though it's still like Base, I mean, even the, even the old cars that haven't been restored still go for quite a lot of money, even the ones that don't run. So there's no utility to it. So 
what is it? What what is this value thing? What what are we trying to trying to show? Now, when I first started to think about this several several years ago, like I mean, way back, way back when this first came into my mind, I was trying to. I started to try to break it down, you know, physically, not physically, but break it down to its core elements. That's that's where STEM came from, space, time, energy, and matter. Back then, I didn't call it STEM. I just said, well, nature has four fundamental currencies, and it's space, time, energy, and matter. Those are the four fundamental, like the four absolute fundamentals that everything, all all you know, uh, all flows of everything. That's, that's everything that is included in anything, right? So that's where STEM, STEM came from. But it hadn't occurred to me that that has nothing to do with value. And let me explain. And yeah, so we're going to talk about value for a second because this is so important to understanding everything about money, about the uh, the three functions of money and how they relate to um, the four laws of thermodynamics, zeroth law included. Okay, when we're thinking about value... One of the first things we notice is that value has a heavy temporal component. Um, no matter what it is, something will gain value and then peak, and then most things will just quickly drop off. Not everything, but for the most part, there's a heavy temporal component to what we perceive value as being some like let's take an apple for example uh apple tree grows there are no apples so there's no apple to value yet then it blossoms and and the buds begin to you know um to get fertilized uh pollinated (laughs) and you know you start to have little buds and then you have apples forming still green still small but you know Still not really anything of value. You cannot pluck a barely, you know, little baby apple and sell it for any amount of money. Unless it was somebody dying of starvation on the street. But at, at some point, the apple gets large enough and begins to ripen and become, become sweet. And you can actually pluck it and then it has value. But it will also lose value extremely rapidly, especially left to the elements. It'll begin to shrivel up and lose its you know, water retention. And before you know it, it's starting to decompose. So, you know, within mm, a week and a half, maybe two weeks, um, an apple can go from being fully valuable at, at its peak value to almost worth nothing. So we know there's a temporal component to this, or at least so we think. (laughs) But then we start looking around, right? We start looking at what, what gives any one thing value. Okay, 
So I'm going to make a couple of claims here and they're going to sound a little bit out there, but uh, stick with me. This is going to make sense by the end. If it doesn't, <laughs> you can shoot me an email uh, and ask some questions or make a rebuttal, whatever you like. All right. What I have concluded after really kind of breaking everything down is that what we think of as, as what makes things valuable, like energy, matter, the substance made, you know, the design, whatever, isn't value. In fact, it, it is so completely divorced from what actual value is that it's kind of, ah, it's kind of mind boggling that that we've continued to use value in the sense that we have. Now, obviously, even, even I have. And until I, I made this analysis and, and started breaking everything down, I didn't realize just how <laughs> completely off the mark we have been with, with valuation. So, what is value? Well, what I have determined is that value Value simply is what makes us feel good. Plain and simple, down to the bare bones, that is what value is. So if we wanna kind of rustle up a couple of examples here, we can talk about uh, you know food. Food, for example, right? You eat food, it tastes good, candy tastes good, that adds value. The food goes through our bodies. Our body uses it for energy and for sustenance. It uses, you know, it breaks it down into its components and uses the different pieces of the different chemicals and pieces of matter for, for its own purposes. And so that's what we think value is. We think it's valuable because it gives us energy and it gives us, gives us our body's material to work with, but that that's not it. Value as we understand it requires self-awareness. You have to be a conscious entity to perceive certain things and, and attach a value to it. So the ultimate breakdown of what value is, is that value is a function of sentiment, <laughs> plain and simple. There is nothing out there that humans have attached value to that can't be broken down to just how it makes you feel. Value is directly proportional to sentiment. Every single thing we have attached value to is sentiment. We're gonna come back to this later, but keep this in mind because we're going to be treading on some unfamiliar territory. And even for me, when I began this analysis, I was pretty confused <laughs> for a minute until until it, I realized that there's a reason for this. However, understanding this relationship, understanding that value is directly proportional to sentiment is key to this, this lecture series, this four part. All right, so the problem is if we are going to, you know, I, jumped ahead of myself. Let's, let's rewind just for a second. Okay. 
let's kind of go over this a little bit in a little bit more detail. Okay, value is how something makes you feel. Now, obviously when you eat food, as I said earlier, it gives you energy and, and, and body materials to work with, but that's not what gives it value. The value comes from how it makes you feel. And I'm not just talking about how it tastes. I'm talking about the fact that we are wired. Our brains are totally wired to feel good when we, when we have ingested food, when we're eating the right kind of food, we are wired to feel good when that happens. So the value from the food doesn't come from how efficient our bodies run on it or how much energy we get from it. It comes from the fact that it makes us feel good when we eat it that we are literally wired to feel good when we eat food that is healthy for us. We are also wired to feel good when we eat things that aren't so healthy for us. It's how our brains react to certain chemicals. High, you know, candy and sugar. We are wired to feel good when we eat candy and sugar. So we have put a value on that. Um, drugs of abuse, you know, heroin, cocaine, methamphetamine, uh, alcohol, tobacco. We are wired to feel good when we ingest those chemicals. They may not be good for us, okay? And that right there should show you that that value comes from sentiment. It comes from how we feel about stuff. It does not come from what it does for us. You can go a little further and talk about books. Books with, you know, excuse me, storybooks, fiction. They're good stories. They're stories that we enjoy to read. And the operative word there is enjoy. We read them, we enjoy them. It makes us feel good. It makes us feel excited. It makes us feel adventurous, whatever it is. We attach a value to that book or story or movie or film or whatever because of how it makes us feel. Um, books of learning, right? Textbooks, college textbooks, uh, you know, middle school and high school textbooks. The value there is the information that we are ingesting that we can turn around and use again. This sort of comes back to, you know, becoming a, um, an actualizing individual that knowing and understanding any one concept makes us feel good when we're working in a group. We feel confident. We feel like we know what we're doing. We get good grades, you know, whatever it is, the value from that comes from how we feel. Okay, so the functions of money, when we're going to look at them through the lens of thermodynamics, we need a, a way to make a connection here. Because if everything is sentiment, then how on earth are we going to put, uh, you know, break this down? How are we going to take um, the three functions of money, a system that, you know, is supposed to be basically your unidirectional or uh, multi-directional or multi-vector like I don't know valuation system you can you can attach any sort of value to it for anything I mean it's a it's to be used for exchange right so you can exchange it for whatever you want so it's a system designed to be able to exchange it for any number of things well if value breaks down purely to sentiment then how are we going to compare <laughs> or analyze the three functions of money 
through the lens, the scientific lens, the objective lens of thermodynamics. So this was kind of the trick. This was, this was where it got, I kind of got a little stuck because <laughs> uh, that makes no sense, right? How, how do you do that? Well, what I decided is we needed a way to kind of talk about value and separate it from the truest, most base, you know, most bare bones sort of value that you can extract from any one thing. Well, in order to do this, I had to observe physical processes. I had to not only observe them, but really analyze what's going on. So I'm going to walk you through some of this because this is, and it, if I get any of this wrong or if I'm out of line, again, email me, correct me, let me know. But I think I've, I think I've nailed this one. So for photosynthesis, for example. Okay, let's look at photosynthesis. Now photosynthesis is what? It's how plants and algae and other, you know, uh, pieces of life out there extract energy from the sun. Well, not extract energy from the sun. Use <laughs> the light that the sun sheds and, you know, comes to our planet, uses that light to convert it into energy somehow. But what we understand of it, and I think some of the processes are still, you know, black box, but I think we understand a, a decent amount of what's going on here. And we understand that there are basically two cycles that are going on inside this. And we have um, your chloroplast, right? Which, which have the uh, chlorophyll inside of them. And the light comes in and hits it. And there's a reaction uh, there's a couple of things that, that are going on. You have your uh, two photosystems and you have your electron chain transport. Electron transport chain. Whatever. And this system, the light comes in and you pull in water. Okay, it, it uses water in this reaction. And by the end, you kick off an ATP and a couple of other things that you know, send it over to the Calvin cycle and you also excrete oxygen. Well, that's a bit of a cycle that goes on between, you know, the photosystems and, and the Calvin cycle. But if you go over to the Calvin cycle, you have, uh, you know, the, the stuff that comes in is carbon dioxide. Nope. Yep. I may have got that backwards. At any rate, it comes into the Calvin cycle. It uses the ATP kicked over from the, from the photosystems. And it gives us a couple of things, but the main thing it, it, uh, that, you know, that comes out of this is sucrose. So you've got water and CO2 that come into the system with light, right? Light is the sort of what energizes the entire process. And it kicks out. The useful components are oxygen and sucrose. And that's what happens in the system. Well, if we stand back and kind of really try to look at this and try to decide where the value, what, where is the value? Where does the value come from? Where is the value manipulated? How has it changed? How does it turn into something of value? It's really hard <laughs> to pinpoint any one thing. Uh, it's a system. And that's 
sort of my point here is that everything is a system that, you know, the flow of material and energy is not something that you can just stop and hold. But anyway, as we're looking at this, is it the light that's valid? That where is that where the value is? I, not necessarily. Is it the is it the you know sugar and the oxygen that comes out? Well, I mean, to us that's valuable. Maybe to the plant that's not. <laughs> Some of that's valuable to the plant, but the oxygen surely. I mean, that's its immediate byproduct. That's what it's kicking out. So the oxygen isn't valuable. So this just kind of enforces the idea or the concept that that value really is directly proportional to sentiment. Okay, so where is the value? You can look at the entire system from beginning to end and you can realize that some of the things are valuable to the to the um, process, but subjectively that that's that's what we are saying we think is valuable to the process. But then there's the things that come off of it that are valuable to us, like the oxygen. But that's the, the waste. That's a byproduct of this system. So it's not, it's not something we can, you know, stamp as valuable, you know, objectively valuable. This is not something that we can do. So looking for value objectively it's it's more subtle it's more subtle than trying to quantify you know the kinetic and potential energies and and the matter and the materials and what's going on here for example light, okay if you were to say light is valuable to this process right well why don't we supercharge a process let's let's bring in a a laser cannon and just aim it right at the leaf and turn it off well obviously that's not going to happen you know if we do that we're just going to burn a hole right through the leaf. But objectively, was there a value loss? There wasn't. Well, what happened? The light hit the leaf. When the light hits the leaf normally, right, the process happens. But this time we have a high-powered light that hits a leaf. And it's so energetic that it causes other things to happen and other systems that come into play. And it, you know, super energized the leaf and things began to oxygenate and, and it burned a hole through the leaf. So that's another process that could have happened. There's multiple processes that could have happened. Well, another process is, you know, an animal coming by and eating the leaf. So if you're trying to find value from this perspective, you just can't, uh, you know, if I took a hammer and I was hammering a nail into a board, okay, to me, the valuable, the value of this, of this whole system or the value of what I'm getting out of this is hitting it with just the right amount of force that the, and just the right angle that the nail goes into the board. Okay. But that's totally subjective. If I, you know, was the Hulk and I took the hammer and I, smash it as hard as I could and I just you know splintered the wood all the way down there is no value loss the value loss is only subjective 
what happened is there's a difference. Yes, there's a difference between what happened. One just lightly tapped the nail until it went in. The other one took, you know, the kinetic energy and as much as it possibly could and just went right down through the wood and splintered the wood. But that's just the system of what happened. That's just what happens. So you can't really devalue anything. It's because everything is a part of a system. And just because one system works one way under one condition and works another way under different conditions doesn't add to or subtract any value from what is happening. All that is happening is that energy is being moved through systems. Okay, things are happening. Now, there are some systems that just happen to be situated in just the right way to when energy comes into the system, it, it reacts very certain ways and spits out things. There are systems that, you know, depending on what their environment is and what sort of energy they're receiving, act differently in multiple different ways. So there, yeah, so value is purely, purely subjective. So what I'm getting at is that all natural systems, well, all systems, because all systems are natural systems, are flows. There is, there is no purpose to anything, really, except for the purpose that we subjectively apply to it. So, because all systems are natural systems, we need to understand that all systems are just flows. They, they just all flow. It's all a flow of material and energy from one point to another, from a system of... So objectively, there is no difference between something that is what we think of as being constructive and something that we think of as being destructive. A great example is a supernova or, you know, uh, any, any number of those ast uh, astronomical events, like super just explosive events that we, that we look at and think of, man, what insane destruction. But... It's not destruction. That's, that's where a large amount of the elements necessary to create life come from. So it really is actually a creative, you know, event, but really it's not because that's just we are, what we are applying to it subjectively. Um, another example would be electricity, right? Uh, the electricity in our homes is we've got 120 volts in the US, right? And it oscillates at 60 hertz. Well, if suddenly we cranked it up to, you know, 500 volts at 120 hertz, it would very likely fry every component in somebody's home, if not first just completely decimate the breakers. I guess you can't really decimate a breaker and I don't know, maybe if the current and voltage is extremely high, you could do some damage, but yeah. So that can be destructive. That can be what we think of as destructive. So I hope I'm really conveying what I'm trying to talk about here, that what we see as value is purely subjective, 100%. Anything that you think of as having value 
is valuable to you because of how it makes you feel. So as much as it would be nice to be able to reduce, um, like totally reduce value to something purely objective and quantifiable, <laughs> it's just, it's just not possible because there will always be some level of sentiment somewhere in there. So this is where we're kind of going with this. And this is what I've concluded. Now, there will always be a desired road for any one action or reaction to take. But what's interesting is, is that as long as sentiment okay, and desire describes the process and not the value, there are no problems. We, we aren't having any issues as long as, as long as sentiment first describes, describes the necessity, you know, the, the process, instead of afterwards trying to describe and adhere a value to whatever has happened. Does that make sense? What I'm trying to say is, hmm. We can go back to photosynthesis, okay? So we, there, there's, from our perspective, subjectively, there is a desired way for this process to work, okay? So sentiment comes before. So first, our, what we want to have happen is that the sunlight hits a leaf, you know, it goes into chloroplast, it, it electron transport, all that, you know, the, the photo, uh, photosystems, and basically the whole process, okay, kicks out the oxygen and the sugar. That's what we want to have happen. And we want to have that happen as efficiently as possible. And in some greenhouses, we even maximize the efficiency by setting up lights with, with the spectrum that, with uh, the spectra that is, you know, maximizes, maximizes what happens with the plants how am I trying, what am I trying to say? So the energy usage that we're putting into the lamps is maximized. The usage of that energy is maximized because we are pumping out a very specific spectra for the plants. So our sentiment rests before the process. It rests as almost a definition of the process. Okay. As long as it rests before the process, we're not having any problems. We will not have any issues whatsoever. The problems occur when we don't pay attention to that and we sit back after the process and look at the, what has, what has, you know, happened or what the result is and then try to adhere a value to that. So I scoured the dictionary and the thesaurus. I, I was trying to find, first of all, with the dictionary, you know, a word that, <laughs> that could best kind of define what, what I had just described to you and I couldn't. So, so I picked up the thesaurus and I, this is what I've kind of stuck together for now. If there is a word out there, please let me know. But, uh, so what I've came up with is quote, harmonized state potential. So harmonized state potential. Okay. Or I guess you could just say HSP if you want. 
Let's break that down so you understand where I'm coming from and, and what I'm getting at with this. Harmonized state. So it's harmonized with desire, with sentiment. So the state, okay, of, of whatever is harmonized with how you want it to happen. So harmonized state potential. You get like potential, potential energy, right? So you've got any one system. So, well, okay. So this is what we are going to replace value with in, in our, in what we're doing here. And this is the closest <laughs> quantifiable way of looking at this that I could, that I've been able to come up with. If again, if you can think of something else that, you know, levels up, please let me know. But this is the best way I could possibly quantify this. So we want it to be harmonized with our desires, with what we want to have happen. Okay. And as long as we put the desire before the process and, and, you know, put it into harmony, put the process into harmony with our desires, then we don't have the issue with having to turn around and then try to adhere a value to it afterwards and really have no way to quantify it. So this is the best way you can quantify it, a value with still giving it a value, but also making it quantifiable without having the issue of losing any way to, you know, follow or quantify it afterwards by sticking a label on it. Okay. Now, earlier I said value is sentiment, right? So instead of using value, which clearly does not work for our purposes, if we're going to actually try to quantify what's happening here and, and give it some, some measurable anything that we can look at it with through the lens of thermodynamics in, in order to analyze money and value. <sighs> because value just won't work for our purposes. So instead, we are going to use harmonized state potential. It's a harmonized state and it's right in its potential state and it's, it's ready to be used. It has potential energy ready to be used. Okay. So, or even if it doesn't, if it's not loaded with potential energy, it's, it's a harmonized state with potential and meaning it can be used with, by applying potential energy to it or you get what I'm saying. Okay. Harmonized state potential. All right. So we have reduced value to something that we can quantify with. We have just totally reduced the, the sentimental part to something that we, we, to where it's irreducible. You cannot, you cannot reduce it any further because at its base value is sentiment. You, there's no way around this. So the only way to turn this into a system where we can analyze it objectively through the lens of thermodynamics and, and like scientifically scrutinize and, and analyze it is by reducing the sentiment to its like most fundamental, undividable, irreducible form. So that's what harmonized state potential is. Okay. <laughs> I hope you're following this. If you're not, again, please ask questions. Okay, so 
again, it, we're only partially, it's only partially sentiment. Um, but it's, it's not the part that we need to be able to quantify. So the part that matters that we want to be able to quantify is not the part that, that has, you know, that is sentimental. Now, before we move on to the other videos, um, or the other parts of this series, we're going to go over the four laws of thermodynamics and the three functions of money. So you are aware of what they are. If you don't know what they are up until this point. And, um, yeah, I think then uh, we'll be able to close this video up and see you in the next video after that. So, okay. So the laws of thermodynamics, there are four, there's the first, second, third, and zeroth. Oddly, the zeroth, I think has quite a bit more of a part to play than, than the third. Okay. So the first law of thermodynamics. Okay. The first law of thermodynamics states that the change of a system's internal energy is equal to the total energy in minus the total energy out. That's pretty cut and dry, pretty easy to understand. Um, basically implies that a system, I'm sorry, that a system's energetic state is relative to the energy states of the systems around it. So for instance, if you have a system with uh, high entropy and, well, I, I guess this is more, eh, let's not use entropy just yet. Let's say if we have a system with high thermal um, uh, thermal energy. Okay. Uh, you've got a, a stove, right? Turn on a stove and you have a pot of water and you stick it on the stove. The, 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 um, thermal state, the energetic state of the pot of water that you stuck on the stove will rise. And so the energy energetic state of that pot of water, as long as it stays on the stove is equal to the energy in minus the energy out. Okay. So as long as there's input and, and it's giving off energy, then, then that is how you can basically quantify the state of that, of that, uh, system. Okay. The law, of entropy. Second law of thermodynamics is a law of entropy. And that basically states that entropy always increases no matter where you are, no matter what is going on. Entropy can never decrease just ever. Like there is no possible way anywhere in the universe to reverse entropy. Uh, heat cannot flow backwards. You cannot have a scalding hot, you know, iron and have heat continually pour into it from from a surrounding like this, it, there's, it will always just expel energy. Heat cannot flow backwards. You can't, heat cannot flow from cool to hot. It just doesn't happen. It can't happen. It's impossible. So entropy always increases. That's the second law of thermodynamics. And the third law of thermodynamics isn't really applicable to, uh, to this series, but, uh, we'll just talk about it anyway. What the third law of thermodynamics states is that um, as you approach 
zero degrees Kelvin, that's absolute zero, okay, as you approach zero degrees Kelvin, theoretically, it's supposed to completely lose all energetic movements, like and all vibrations, all movements, all heat, everything just completely dissipates until all you are left with is the core stuff, the core fundamental stuff. Now, from what I understand, this isn't something that is possible. <laughs> and I think it's more of just like a mathematical, you know, kind of a, I don't know, a statement that really just signifies that as you approach absolute zero, but you can never actually reach absolute zero as far as we know or are aware. Okay, now the zeroth law of thermodynamics is, um, well, you may recognize this as looking quite familiar to the transitive property of equality. It's not, but um, what you basically see is if A equals C and C equals B, then A equals B. Now, this isn't the transitive property of equality because what we're referring to here is is thermal equilibrium. We're not talking about <laughs> numbers, okay? But uh, yeah, so those are the three functions of money. And, oh, wow, no. Those are the your um, four laws of thermodynamics. Uh, now, as we go through the next couple of few videos, the next three videos, we're gonna go through each function of money and how it relates to each of the three laws of thermodynamics, mostly because the third law of thermodynamics has really no application here. So we're gonna leave that one out, but um, we just reviewed it just so you know, okay. Okay, now on to the three functions of money. Um, before, before we, got, this doesn't really have anything to do with this, but it's, it's a little interesting. Um, previously, money was thought to have four functions, and the fourth function was to be a standard of deferred payment. Now, after some time, you know, people that studied this stuff kind of realized that it was pretty much implied already in the other three functions, so they, they removed the fourth function, but it's a little interesting, so if you sit down and think about it and really, like, you know, look at it, it makes sense why it was why it was released and why we have stuck to the other three functions of money. Okay, so the three functions of money are <laughs> uh, a medium of exchange, and basically, if that doesn't already, you know, click for you, what a medium of exchange is, is what money is, right? It's something that you can use to exchange for other things without having to have it. Are you going to shut off on me? <laughs> something you can exchange for any number of things, you know, something that can be exchanged universally for whatever. Okay. It's a medium of exchange. It's something that you can use to buy any number of things in exchange for anything, something that can be respected and agreed upon as holding value that is universal, all right? The second one is uh, a unit of account. 
just what it sounds like. Okay, so it is a way to track, I guess, uh, value. Okay, it's a unit of account. It's a way to keep account of of how much value is in any one thing. So it's a way to put a price on something. Um, that's worth $3. That's worth $25. It's a unit of account. Okay. And last, it's a store of value. Okay, a store of value. And what that means is that it is a way to basically freeze a value of something. So as we were talking about earlier, right, uh, about the temporal kind of component to value, you have the apple that, you know, starts as a blossom, gets bigger and bigger and bigger, really doesn't have any value, and then it becomes a, an apple, which is of great value, and you pluck that thing, but then, you know, you only got a couple of weeks before it, it completely drops off in value again. Well, you have a way to freeze that. So you pluck all your apples really quickly at harvest time, you go out and sell them all, and now you have something that you can stick on your shelf, and it can sit there for days, weeks, months, years, and hopefully when you go to pull it back down again, it's still the same value. Whereas you just could not do that with apples and produce. They, it would rot immediately, theoretically. We'll talk about that in the next few videos as well. <laughs> All right, so those are the three functions of money. Okay, so over in the next few videos, we're gonna talk about each one of these in depth. Um, however, right now, as a bit of a primer for you, we're gonna go over just a couple of things um, to get your minds, you know, churning and, and thinking about this. Uh, first, we're gonna start with medium of exchange. Now, medium of exchange supposes that an exchange is necessary, okay? No other system exchanges anything in the universe. There just are no systems of exchange anywhere. Everything is a system of flow. Everything is, every, there are cycles, you know, material cycles, but there's no exchange. Money and, and our current economic systems are the only systems where we have systems of exchange. Okay, just something for you to think about. Um, again, the only things in reality are, we have material cycles, we have, right, material cycles, and we have entropic flow but there is no exchange. Unit of account. Unit of account supposes that a measure of potential outside of the system is necessary. All right, next is unit of account. Uh, unit of account supposes that a measure of potential outside of the system is necessary. What this means is that for instance, um, is it necessary to, to measure every single one thing that is happening within, within a system of flow, within a, a natural entropic flow or a system of, uh, material um, uh, yeah, material recycling. I don't know. We'll talk about that in the next second video. All right, and a store of value. 
supposes that value can actually be stored. Now, in the first episode, I claimed that uh, the STEM ep economy and the AI STEM drive invalidates the three functions of money. I claim that the AI STEM drive handles the, the main concerns behind the reason why we have the three functions of money, right? That the, the main arguments for money, okay, those are the arguments for money and their functions. My argument is that within a STEM ep economy, those arguments are null and void in the first place. They have no meaning whatsoever. And second, that the concerns, right, that that are behind um, those, those uh, arguments, the AI STEM drive handles those with far more efficiency than anything money could ever do. Okay, and we're going to talk about that in the th uh, fourth video, right? <laughs> okay, so, so when I say that the STEM drive can handle you know, the, the basic kind of reasons behind, behind why we, we have applied those arguments in the form of functions of money. When I say the stem drive can handle it with far more efficiency than, than anything that we can, you know, muster right now. What I mean uh, in a very real sense is that there is no other method by which the three functions can be replaced such that the underlying concepts that support them, the need for them, could possibly be better handled. Yes, I'm making quite a claim here, but STEM theory, the efficiency of the AI STEM drive and the STEM ep economy and the application of STEM theory into a society, STEM theory hits efficiency bedrock. I, and I'm not just like saying this or, you know, spouting off a bunch of nonsense, like literally, physically, there is no possible way to get find something that handles these things more efficiently. There's just is not. And, you know, in later videos, we're going to cover that, but actually in the next three videos, we're going to cover that, but it's just outright impossible to get more efficient as far as handling those. Right. And we're going to go over that. Okay. So, uh, that is, that is it for today. We're going to wrap this up. Um, if you're interested, if you're still interested, if you want to keep doing this, if you want to keep supporting it, just keep listening, share the episodes with friends and family, um, continue to support uh, the research cast and, and the efforts here. Also, I will let everybody know when the shirts and hoodies and beanies and stickers, all that stuff is going to be ready. You can show your support by pur purchasing some of that. Um, like the video, like the stream, whatever format you happen to be listening or watching this on. And uh, yeah, just, just share, like, and subscribe. And we'll, we'll, we'll get this moving as quickly and as fast as we can. Again, I would like to remind everybody that the success of this project is it just so hinges on you guys. It really does. 
it, it doesn't matter how much I get done or how, you know, how just far I go with this project. If the public isn't there to support me, this, nothing's going to happen. That's just the fact of the matter. And really, you guys are like my research partner. You really are. Like all the feedback, all the conversations, the emails, that's, that's where this is all coming from. And when it comes time for the interviews, for the research interviews to start, this is just going to be a huge community project. So the success of this really does hinge on all of us, really, just working together. And hopefully we can make this world an incredibly better place than it is right now. So again, thank you guys for watching and listening. And thank you so much for your support. I on a, seriously mean it from the bottom of my heart. You guys are making this all worthwhile. So, all right. I will see you guys soon in the next video. And uh, yeah, we're going to tackle some heavy stuff. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye.